We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast coming at you on D-Day. That is what I have deemed this day when they play the uh, Dallas Mavericks tonight. Um, out of the frying pan and into the fire, as it were. I, I It took me a solid... Mm, it took me a solid 20 hours to get over Wednesday night's game. Um, and to be honest with you, I, I don't think I fully got over it until I uh, recorded this conversation, which you are now about to listen to. Uh, I'm recording this intro at about eight o'clock on on Thursday night. I uh, just got done talking to Mike Jacobs. Um, Mike Jacobs, if you follow uh, professional soccer i'm sure you know who he is um if not let me tell you um he is the general manager of the nashville soccer club uh of major league soccer he also happens to be a massive nick fan um so me and mike have uh you know kind of been talking offline for a while about uh the knicks about you know building a soccer team about all things in between. And we figured, Hey, why not uh, have that conversation uh, on a podcast? So everybody could, could hear about the, um, 
thoughts of an actual general manager when it comes to not only how he goes about building his team in soccer, but uh, about the Knicks and how he thinks Leon Rose is doing about, you know, the interplay of uh, Leon and, and Tom Thibodeau about the draft process, about free agency. We get into all sorts of stuff um, and talk a little bit about Mike as well. Really, I, I could genuinely say this is one of the most insightful and enjoyable conversations I have yet had on this podcast. Um, one, because of, you know, what Mike does for a living, um, but also just because he's a great guy and we had a really fun time talking. Uh, it's actually me and Jeremy doing this one together because, you know, go big or go home when you have uh, a guest of this level of importance. So, um, I think that's it. Uh, don't forget if you would like to hear my, uh, thoughts after the Dallas game. Um, feel free to check those out on the KFS YouTube channel or obviously check your podcast stream. Uh, that, um, post game will be available, uh, I imagine probably around midnight tonight. Uh, but before we get there, first, my conversation with Jeremy and Nashville GM, Mike Jacobs. Before I introduce our guest, let me say hi to a, a special special partner, special friend for this interview. Uh, Jeremy Cohen joining me uh, for um, this one, which you'll find out why in a bit. This is, this is a big one. Uh, how you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing all right. You know, I mean, I would have been better if the Yankees had won, but that's what, 0.6% of the season done? We got time. There's fine. They're fine. <laughs> I am going to lie and say that I watched one pitch of that game. Um, it was a great pitch, too. Was it a great pitch? Good. At That's one awesome. pitch, yeah. No, I, I spent most of the day with my uh, my uh, newborn uh, laying on my uh, chest because my wife had things to do. Um, such is dad life, which I am now getting a break from to do this. Uh, I cannot say how excited I am um, to welcome this guest to the show. Um, he's someone that has been kind enough to have a lot of conversations with offline over the last several months as um, we pester each other with questions about RJ Barrett and occasionally other players, but mostly, mostly RJ Barrett. That, I think that's like 90% of the thing that we talk about, but we're going to talk about some other stuff today. Um, he is the general manager of the Nashville soccer club of, of course, uh, major league soccer. Welcome to the program, Mike Jacobs. How are you, sir? Doing really well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, Needless to say, the pleasure is ours. It's not every day that we get someone who runs an actual professional um, sports franchise on this show. So um, before I, I, you know, get into everything and Jeremy and, and me have a lot that we want to try to get to, let me just say thank you for taking the time because in my mind, when you run a professional team, it's like, you know, tw- uh, 25, eight job, it, it, but you, you've managed to take some time today. So maybe that's not quite, it's not that intense. Look, I, I really appreciate it. And I know you and I, we messaged back and forth, you know, with our, our man love for RJ Barrett, you know, uh, uh, you know, my, my guilty pleasure, you know, is the Knickerbockers. And, uh, you know, uh, even at an exhibition game in Bradenton, Florida last night, uh, I was watching uh, the game on my phone. There you, you know, go. So. Um, I, I wish you had not done that. Um, uh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so before we get into some of the stuff about, you know, team building and, and all that, all that good stuff that I know we want to spend the, most of our time on, I'm just curious because, you know, you hear these stories about people who end up running teams or coaching teams or, you know, owning teams or whatever. 
and they all have these different paths uh, that they they take. So I, I'm curious, was was there like one moment where you realized that you wanted to have a career in sports? Um, you know, and, and if so, when when and where did that come about? You know, it's an interesting one because, uh, you know, I, I grew up playing a lot of sports. So I think like most people do. And uh, my father was a uh, junior high school basketball coach at uh, IS-183, Paul Robeson. Uh, you know, so my family's in the Bronx. I grew up primarily in, uh, in Rockland County. Uh, if you travel to Tappensee Bridge, uh, I went to Tappensee High School. Okay. So, uh, you know, I grew up playing a lot of sports and primarily, uh, you know, soccer and basketball. But I, I think having a parent who is so vested in sports, mm. I think, uh, you know, growing up with tales of Willis Reed and Clyde and Dave DeBusher, you know, so firmly entrenched into who I was, I think at my own DNA, even when I got involved in coaching, you know, I was kind of like a, like Doogie Hauser, you know, uh, 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 you know, I, I played at Pace university, but, uh, by age 20, I was, uh, I was also coaching a varsity soccer team in Westchester. Uh, at 24, I was the youngest head coach in the country at Iona college, you know, and, uh, uh, I think we had a weekend where we, we traveled by bus, down to North Carolina to play in a tournament against uh, Duke and NC State. And at the time, Duke was number one in the country. Uh, we had lost in overtime to them. This was probably like 97, 98. Uh, you know, and the next day we ended up being NC State. And, you know, for, for you know, in any sport, when you think about Iona College, you know, to be even to be competing in the same platform, you know, in the same sporting event as a Duke or NC State is unique. And, you know, for us to be even up with that Duke team was number one in the country. And, you know, that state team we beat the next day wasn't a slouch either. But, you know, what I kind of felt on, on the ride back, I, I kind of felt that there were a lot of players on our team would have been happy just taking the, you know, the Deegan down to play Manhattan College, you know, and get back to campus early yeah. rather than testing their medal against the best players and teams in the country. And, you know, I think for me, that was something I always wanted to do. And, you know, uh, uh, I, I think whether it was testing or challenging myself, I think I was, I, I knew I was going to have to probably leave what I was doing, leave Iona, leave New York. But, you know, I, I also just kind of felt like uh, uh, I always wanted to be in a situation where I was going to be tested and challenged. And I think, you know, growing up in New York in the seventies, you know, I, I grew up, you know, in the, you know, in the, you know, a stone's throw from giant stadium, you know, so every weekend I was going to Cosmos games. So, you know, to see what it was like, you know, and hear people say, well, when is soccer going to make it here in the United States? And I'm thinking like, you know, I was there at, at Giant Stadium in front of 80,000 people, you know, so, you know, so, so it was here. I, I just think, you know, it went away, you know, in 1983, 1984, the NASL, you know, it, you know, it folded, you know, so for someone with aspiration to be involved in professional sports, you know, for someone with aspirations of, you know, uh, being involved in soccer at a different level, it kind of went away and, I think when MLS came back in 1996, you know, for me, I, I just felt in some capacity, you know, I had friends who were playing in the league. Uh, you know, uh, I just kind of felt in some way I always want to be involved, you know, at, at that level, you know, in that league. You know, I remember as a kid uh, going to Chelsea Piers and seeing some Metro stars and connecting in the late 90s. And um, I mean, speaking of young ages, how did it feel for you as being the youngest coach in college? And I mean, what kind of was running through your mind? How was that experience? You know, it was really humbling getting a chance to do that. You know, I think everyone has a certain level of self-confidence and belief in themselves, but until you actually get a chance to go out and do it, you don't really know. And I mean, my first year as a head coach, we were one seventeen and one. Uh, 17, 17 losses, 12 by one goal. 
I mean, those are the, those are the kind of losses like, you know, you want to walk around like on West Side Drive. You know, I was about like to say that that's some 2018-19 Knicks stuff, except those those were not close games, so maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, my athletic director at the time, Rich Petriccioni, who was a GA at one time at Iona for Jim Valvano. You know, oh, wow. so he had a okay. chance to, you know, to be ingrained culturally in not only how to achieve, but, you know, w- without thinking about, you know, uh, Coach Valvano's speech, you know, about how to dream and, and how to aspire to achieve big things. And at the end of that season, he sat me down and he said, uh, look, you know, he goes, before we kind of get into like a, rack, a wrap up of your year, help walk me through your plan. And, and I asked what he meant. And he said, look, he goes, you know, he goes, he goes you won one game out of 19 please tell me there's like a method to this. Like you've got a plan of where this is going, you know? And I, you know, like I was very young and, you know, it was, it was, it was just amazing baptism under fire to, to learn how to, how to that craft because, you know, most people who, you know, go into coaching, you know, they start out playing probably at a high level. Uh, maybe they're, they're a graduate assistant somewhere. They work their way up. I mean, I had this, this incredible baptism, right? A chance to kind of learn, you know, you know, on the fly and to, to learn from, you know, practical experience. And, you know, I mentioned obviously at 12 of those losses by one goal, but that, that team we had, I mean, uh, you know, we started, I think it was eight freshmen, two sophomores, you know, so, so that group, you know, only won one game, that young group, the next year, a sophomore and juniors won 12 games, you know, when I, Soccer America wrote an article, it was how it was from worst to first, you know, and I, and I love the fact that like, you know, we didn't win a conference championship or advanced NCAAs, but it was cool to kind of see, you know, this whole thing kind of come to fruition and, you know, going from coaching what I'm doing now, I always thought I loved coaching. You know, again, my, my, my father coached and I was always around that. Uh, I think as time went on, I came to appreciate it. I think I liked coaching. Uh, I loved building teams. You know, uh, the idea of constructing something and watch it kind of come to fruition. Uh, I went from being a, a, a head coach, Iona, to then being the assistant coach at the University of Evansville. I mean, imagine like it, it was 2000. So at age 30, moved to Evansville, Indiana, which is the polar opposite of the New York metropolitan area. I, I mean, was about to say, if you, if I'm not sure I've ever heard of that place before uh, look, in know, my life. I'll tell you what, you know what, uh, I, when I got asked about it at the time, I said, I knew three things, but Evansville, Indiana, I lived in New York. Uh, Donnie baseball, Don Mattingly was probably. Oh, there you go. Okay. Uh, my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's 23 and uh, graduated from St. John's. She lives in Queens right now. Uh, her first like a uh, de facto boyfriend, like in sixth grade, was Don Mattingly's stepson. So we spent time together. You know, what an amazing, during COVID, when we had our challenges, I actually, I actually texted back and forth with Don as they were going through their stuff with the Miami Marlins. Oh, wow. You know, uh, wow. Yeah, you know, so, so Don was Reppensville. Uh, I knew the basketball team, the Purple Aces, were the last team that had sleeves on their jerseys. Like they were like, like the, these short sleeve, yeah. like, you know, like polyester shirts was a nightmare to look at, you know, that's a good uh, name too. purple aces. I like, Oh that. Yeah. yeah. You know I mean? Uh, but, but I also knew like their soccer team was, you know, that they, they were a national title contender and, uh, okay. you know, as, as this really small mid major, uh, they were the second smallest division one school as far as like student enrollment, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they went in the final four in 85, uh, the final four in 90, you know, so even like this small school, you, you know, they had this, you know, this amazing tradition, you know, for soccer and for someone like myself who wanted to aspire to competing as the best players and teams, I kind of had to leave New York to do that. Uh, I had to probably leaving a head coach like in this mentorship. So I was Devons over two years before I went to work at Duke University. And I was there for, you know, about five years. But, you know, when I was at Duke, it was my first opportunity to work at a school where, where the team had, had their worst season in school history the year prior. I mean, we had three seasons were number one in the country. Uh, we went to the College Cup, like soccer's equivalent of the Final Four. Uh, it was just amazing, like think tank, because everyone there 
like the first time in my life, every, I worked somewhere where everybody aspired to win like mm. everything. You know, uh, my boss used to joke that he couldn't find me. He was going to Cameron. You know, I was always down there, you know, and like uh, watching practice. And, you know, uh, I was there all four years, JJ Reddick's career in college, you know, oh, wow. uh, um, you know, wild. but like, uh, you know, it's about the think tank at the time, the assistant coaches on basketball team there were Johnny Dawkins, uh, Steve Wojciechowski, oh, yeah. uh, Chris Collins. You know, oh, Chris. Okay. Chris like, is a friend of my, uh, a friend of my brother's actually. Really? That's funny. Yeah. yeah. Go, I stayed in, I spent the night in his living room, I think once. That's really funny. He and I once spoke in a panel where he talked about growing up in Philly and being a locker room messing around as Doug Collins' son with Joe Bryant's son messing around in the locker room. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, no, Chris is a nice guy. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, sorry, yeah, continue. No, like, you know, it just, I, I think, uh, I, I think uh, at that point, I definitely liked coaching, but I think mm-hmm. the opportunity to get to put a group together and be charged with, you know, the identification, the scouting, uh, the recruitment, and trying to put together the field. I mean, I, I think, I think at that point it kind of went from like, man, this would be cool to do someday, like at that level, you know, to like, to now say, maybe, maybe, maybe I can do this. Maybe I have the ability to, to, you know, maybe it's realistic. So just, so I think there's, there's a lot that we want to get into with what you just brought up about team building. I know Jeremy wants to hit on some of the cultural stuff. I'm, I'm just hearing you talk about how, okay, so you had a head coaching experience at a, basically the, the toughest place you could possibly have it. And then you went and you had coaching experience at not the easiest because nothing's ever easy, but like it's Duke. Um, and then you, but then all, that's all under the umbrella of coaching. And then you bring that to the team. But like you've had so much different types, so many different types of experiences up until this point. Do you think that has helped you? I mean, I'm sure it has helped you become a more successful GM in your job now. Do Like, can you, start to think about how it has helped you or, or is, is it just kind of all a, a mishmash? <laughs> you know, I, I didn't want to get into team building at some point, but what I have to, I'm actually really surprised about is how few coaches there are like former coaches in hmm. our league who serve in a similar role that I do. Uh, I does that surprise you with soccer in particular, or does that just surprise you in like sports in general? I, I don't think I noticed it until like my, my first uh, like, like like general managers meeting, like in our sport, they call it like a CSO, like a chief soccer officers. Okay. You know, uh, essentially each team is general manager, you know, and, uh, um, you know, the, the first time I walked in a meeting like that, I looked around that I, I couldn't get over like how few people in the room had ever coached at any level before, you know, forget about like in MLS or in college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the idea of like, like building a team, you know, I, I think what happens is you get a lot of people as fans of their sport, whatever their sport is, you know, who, you know, who see two players and say, well, you know, well, look at these guys, they're good players. Mm. You know, for me, I think like in the simplest of terms of coach, you think all the time about cohesion, like how are these pieces going to fit together? You know? So, you know, like in our team, look like our team now at Nashville soccer club, we put our first team together last year was we were an expansion team. You know, uh, our two players in the middle of midfield, both, represented their countries. Uh, Annabelle Godoy played in the last World Cup for Panama. Uh, mm-hmm. He just got his 100th cap, like 100th appearance for his country this week. It's amazing. You know, uh, uh, wow. we paired him with, with Dax McCarty, who was the captain of the New York Red Bulls when they won a supporter shield a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, but it wasn't just, like, hey, these guys are good players. Uh, you know, Annabelle, they're both, well, they're both connectors. They're both like leaders in a locker room on, and on the field. Yeah. But Annabelle also, he's bilingual, you know, so he, you know, he, he, can, he can interact with players who speak English, players who speak Spanish. You know, uh, Annabelle's left-footed, Dax is right-footed. You know, uh, Annabelle tends to penetrate more by passing. Dax tends to penetrate more by dribbling. 
You know, like for me, it kind of felt it wasn't like, hey, here's these two good players. Here are these players whose games should fit together. And, uh, you know, when you think about teams, like bring it back to what we're talking today about like the NBA, you, know, you look at some of these teams and you watch what's going through a draft process, was you're watching different, different lineups that are constructed. Uh, I'm blown away sometimes by like how little thought goes into like, how will these pieces play together? Yeah, exactly. And I'm also curious how, what your thoughts are in terms of how they, you know, coexist even off the pitch. Um, how much do you take into consideration who they are as people and, and other attributes? How heavily are they weighed? At what point does one win out on the other? Because, you know, we hear about how, of course, talent, Gettleman, Dave Gettleman saying you don't quit on talent and trading Odell Beckham Jr. So at what point do you kind of weigh all of the options and then make that decision? You know, I mentioned Godoy, uh, you know, he's, he's an underrated player in general, like, you know, uh, center midfielders in soccer. I mean, trying, like it's a, probably a cross between a point guard as far as running the team, but like maybe like an anchor, like, like a center sometimes, you know, in, in the right, when, when Mitch is in the mood and he's healthy, maybe like that, you know, <laughs> like, uh, uh, but, you know, I, I think someone like, like both Annabelle and Dax are connectors in a locker room as well. You know, uh, they're both guys who have uh, reputations for not only being seasoned veterans, but they're also really good with young players, you know, being demanding of them, like, but also be able to kind of bring them along. And uh, what was really important for us in our first year, in our first locker room, we were only going to have two languages that were going to be spoken. And it wasn't because we were going to be derogatory to any different ethnic group, as much as the fact we just thought in year one, trying to assemble this group, making sure as many of these guys could communicate with each other freely was like critically important. Hmm. You know, so the only two languages in our locker room are going to be Spanish and English. And out of the players who were primarily Spanish speaking, you know, who weren't ESL, who were primarily Spanish speaking, out of that group, only two didn't speak English fluently. Oh wow! Uh, out of the out of the the domestic players, the players who were who were born in the United States and primarily English speaking, uh, I think we had seven different players who spoke Spanish fluently. You know, and, and I. Uh, uh, I did a, on Duolingo, I did 500 executive days. It helped during the pandemic to have something to do, you know, like, uh, but, it, but it was really important to me. Uh, again, both my parents being born and raised in the South Bronx and teaching there yeah. as I was going through school, you know, that th- my father like tried to like play with me to, to take Spanish. He said at some point it'd be the primary language in our country. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm vividly the year was 1982 because that year, the World Cup final was Italy versus West Germany. It was before Germany had, you know, had, had unified. And oh, yeah. I said, look, I, I said, totally get it. Whatever wins the World Cup, I'm taking that language. <laughs> <laughs> Italy won. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I took it in high school and college. 
Uh, it helps me when I go to Frankie and Johnny's F and J Pine on Bronxdale Avenue. It helps me when I go to Aquisa Trattoria in, in Queens. Uh, other than that, it, it probably was a waste of like eight years of my life academically, you know, uh, but I would tell you, uh, we have intensive English language courses for our players who are primarily Spanish speaking. We've worked on an intensive English course or Spanish speaking courses for the rest of our staff. Uh, I mean, how do you say you're respectful of somebody and, and you know, they're, they're important to you, you appreciate them if you can't converse with them fluently. As, as opposed to uh, falling asleep at a draft workout, which is maybe the opposite of um, being, but we don't have to talk about that era in Knicks basketball. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know how to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. The best part is you could get all this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into this program is limited. So get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. You know, I'm just I'm hearing you talk about. So it's painfully obvious how seriously you take this, that aspect of the job, making sure that the culture is right, that, that the culture is right in the locker room and that the culture is right on your end from the front office. And that, that is a, a, a cohesive, you know, entity. I'm wondering when, when you're watching, well, let's say the Knicks, right. And you see um, something on the court, maybe that is not making basketball sense or complete basketball sense, you might want to say Alfred Payton just to throw a name out there. Right. Are does your mind immediately wonder, like, is there something else going on maybe behind the scenes? That is a reason that he's getting time or do you like, how, how do you interpret that as someone who, again, this is part of your job to, to figure this type of stuff out? Well, I'll share some really unique ties in sport, whether it's the NBA or other sports also, because what's been really important to me, I mean, I'm so passionate about, about like turning like, like my dream into a career, you know, I mean, I pinch myself sometimes, you know, to your point before we could have to do this for a living. It's like surreal, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, one day I mentioned to, uh, to, to Jonathan before, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Frank Isola, when I've talked to him, he, he jokes that I have Stockholm syndrome, you know, that I could find a way to turn any Nick at negative into a positive. You know, I, I've kind of, I, I've identified my captor that they're actually good people, you know, uh, uh, and I find like, uh, my, my brother, John and, uh, and, uh, his best friend, Brian, will be listening to this at some point, you know, that they'll, they'll love me shamelessly using their names as well. But, you know, I, I get asked all the time about, I'm sure as you guys do about like, what is Elf doing out there? You know, and like, like, you know, does, does Reggie Bullock have dirty photos of tips, you know, like, 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 why are they out there? And, you know, uh, uh, what I would say is long before he became the coach of our team, uh, I had a chance last year at the uh, the Sloan MIT mm. Sports and List Conference to listen to a panel that included tips, you know, and I even t- texted Frank Dern. I said, hey, I'm going to go over and try to talk to him afterwards. What was amazing was when these, these sessions are over, the Harvard and MIT students 
who just like like harass and attack these speakers with the resumes, trying to get internships, like getting close to tips, you know. Uh, but I was blown away in this panel was him talking about, you know, the perceived like old school, like methods, mentality he has to new age basketball. And whether it was Maury Ball, you know, like in, in Daryl Maury, you know, he, he created the Sloan MIT conference. You know, he spoke also. I watched him play chess for an hour. I mean, I think something was boring. That was how dialed in I was. I want to see Daryl Morey's thought process playing chess, you know, like, uh, um, but, you know, it's interesting listening to Tibbs talk about whether it's threes instead of twos, whether it's how he's used analytics. But, you know, I really, it really took me that day listening to him. And I think about all the time watching Knickerbockers is he referenced looking at plus minus and looking at different combinations of players. You know, and, and I, I think all the time, like, I, and I, I'm for sure, like, in, in tips we trust, you know. So to me, I mean, like, I would tell you, the times that I, ch- I challenge his thought process, I mean, he's going to forget way more than we'll ever learn in our life when it comes to, like, basketball tactics. You know, I mean, I think, like, the most important role, uh, you know, maybe the most important role of the general manager or in basketball, the president of basketball operations is who you're going to hire, who you're going to empower on game day to t- take your chess piece to put them to work. You know, and, uh, you know, so I think, you know, like, you know, end of the day, you know, Leon Rose and his team have to get it right, identifying the right coach. So I, I think clearly his tips, you know, and uh, so I've, I have a lot of faith in him. And uh, but what I will say, watching sometimes, think to myself, like, you know, why this combination of players? Uh, most coaches are very short term in their thought process. I have to win right now to keep my job. Hmm. You know, uh, most front office executives, are, you know, they're, jo- they're tasked with, I have to win now, but I have sustained success, you know, for the next four or five years. You know, so, uh, you know, like, like the idea of trading for Derek Rose, my guess is Tibbs is like banging on Leon Rose's door saying, hey, look, I, I need something now. OK, uh, you know, Leon Rose, I think himself, you know, how can I acquire the best player like with the fewest assets as possible so I don't hemorrhage the future? Like, like, so I can could, I could help my coach now, make sure he feels good now what he has, coach his team today. But keep building for the future. But how do you uh, handle that if you're if your coach were to do that to you? Because I'm, I'm or maybe has something like this happen. Yeah, I would tell you, so, so in, it's interesting in soccer. So in basketball, we, we have a trade deadline. Uh, in soccer, we have these figurative transfer windows. And it's a figurative window that opens and allows you to business and then closes. And then, you know, and then you spend the rest of the time in between those windows preparing for the next window. You know, uh, yeah, and there's one, the primary window in our sport is in January. And then the secondary window is in the summer. And I would tell you, like, each summer window, like the middle of our season, so I, I've been with Gary Smith, our head coach, for, this is our fourth season together. Uh, we, we did two years together. It was essentially like AAA baseball, like the USL, like the level right below MLS. So we, we worked together in this, this combination as a GM and head coach there. And now it's our second year in MLS together. And I would say each summer window, I just thought that it was really important to identify a, a need of his to make sure that, that he felt good about the group he had going on a stretch run. Mm-hmm. But also there's a lot of confidence in me that like I'm listening to him. Like, uh, you know, like uh, I understand what his needs are. Uh, you know, where, where I was talking about like not compromising the future for the present. You know, mm-hmm. I'm also willing to test boundaries and see what we can do in our sports. You can loan players and you can maybe acquire players, you know, I mean, like, like, like the Derek Rose deal, you know, like, uh, you know, like maybe giving as few assets away as possible to do that. You know, uh, you know, to me, uh, I think even we message a little bit, you know, like, uh, like, you know, essentially Christmas Day on, on the deadline day, you know, talk about what could happen, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, I, I really appreciate the fact that I can only imagine like like the you know, the pain that Tibbs is probably putting Leon Rose and his staff through the 48 hours prior to, to uh, a better point guard, yeah. uh, more three and D help, you know, whatever it is, more depth in general, you yeah. know, like, uh, um, you know, I, I can appreciate that. 
all I kept saying to myself was like, please don't give up any like key assets. You know, like, you know, like uh, in my head was like, you know, man, like, like, you know, we talked about like Lonzo in a past, you know I mean? Like I would love them to get Lonzo, but like, you know, if, if you can do it now, not getting much up, I think it'd be great. You know, like if, 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 if the only way you can do it is by giving too many assets up, I, I'd roll a dice where you have because Tibbs has made it work so far. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he's, he's rubbing stones together, you know, like trying to get work, you know, to be where they are today. I mean, I, I think it's amazing what he's done with the personnel he's working with. You know, but, but I would just say in general, I think as I watched, I think to myself, you know what, like, so I flew down to Bradenton, Florida yesterday to watch our team play. And this time of the year, and it definitely drew this from Bill Parcells from his time with the Giants, you know, uh, they did like a self-scout. You know, this time of the year, I think it's all about like evaluating our players. Hmm. You, know, you know, like, uh, you know, and comparing them to other players in our league, you know, compared to other players that, like, they, that we're looking to have, you know, like, can this guy fit into a key role in our team right now? Uh, can he, okay. you know, A, B, can he fit maybe like, like, to a contributing role, maybe like as, a, you know, off the bench or as, you know, a, a smaller role and, or C, could he, could he evolve into somebody maybe to, you know, who could grow into a larger role in the future? You know, so to me, even as I'm watching Knickerbockers, I'm thinking to myself, you know what, like, I don't know if Reggie Bullock is my, is my choice, my, my player of choice that I would like in, in like in that, 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 that three guard type rotation what they have. But I also kind of feel like for a three and D guy, for the amount of money they spent, you know, really on the rummage bin, grabbing him, Alex Burks, who's, who's been tremendous, Austin Rivers. I, I didn't think there's a swing and miss. I mean, I, I think, you know, like until you get a guy in, you don't really know if they'll fit or not. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, Agreed. early in the season, I think it was it's Utah. I think, you know, I mean, like it was like, holy cow, this guy is going to be unbelievable. We all love that signing, you know, $3 million. Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever, it's nothing. Yeah. But, but I would just say, you know, I, I kind of look at it like, how can you make, you know, as I'm watching, like, I, mean, I would tell you, like, uh, I probably watch a little differently that I'm probably not as critical of roster moves or in-game decisions because mm-hmm. I live with that. You know, I mean, like, uh, um, it doesn't mean I want to see Elf out there, you know, but, but I mean, like, you know, like, you know, but, but, but at least I get it. I, I get why he's there. You know, yeah. like, uh, I get that, like, you know, when you look at, like, what he got, I mean, look, I mean, I think they, they're only guaranteed contracts. And they have five guys guaranteed this next year. You know, you know, so I mean, in theory, they could let all those spare parts they brought in this, this, this last year, let them all walk, go after some bigger free agents and still finish a roster up like with like you think of like, a cohesion core guys. You think have qualities that fit. And I think, you know, sometimes it's guys who have a history with the coach like Taj or like D Rose. You know, look, I thought for sure this summer they're getting DJ Augustine. I think mean, you write it like in 10 oh. I he was yep. my, I thought he was more likely to be on this team than anybody else on the roster last year. I would bet I, anything I, on it. I thought even during a trade deadline, I thought they were trying to move for him. You know, and my, my worry <laughs> was again, like 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 you know, like how much how much like if you're Leon Rose, and again, if, if Tibbs is banging your door saying I, I need my guys, you know, mm-hmm. like how much are you willing to compromise to do that? And you know, but I, I just I guess what I would say is whether it's DJ Augustine next year, whether it's Alec Burks or Nerlens Noel or Reggie Bullock this year. I think if you've got a sharp guy and look, I mean, the team that the team that that, that Leon has assembled, uh, you know, you have your shot callers, you know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. like a Rick Candler always uses on NBA radio. I, I, I am like perpetually driving back for this NBA radio. Uh, when I lived in New York, I mean, you know, I, I was married since divorced, you know, uh, but uh, I used to live, live in Englewood. Okay. Uh, I taught in the South Bronx, uh, the Grand Concourse, host host Lincoln Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my commute was 11 miles but it was like an hour and a half to two hours each way, you know? And, and I would go, I would go from Englewood to the South Bronx, to the Grand Concourse. At the end of the day, I'd race from there to New Rochelle to Iona. Uh-huh. 
was that that was done. I'd go to Bayonne, New Jersey, where I was working with a, with a, like a professional team at night, like volunteering my time. That's a trip. So, yeah. You know, so you think about just just gas and tolls alone, <laughs> the money I was losing. But, but what I would say is like, uh, you know, like, like like most New York sports fans, let's like a lot of like sports radio, yeah. you know. Uh, and now I only live five minutes from my office. But I mean, like I mean, my son asked me the other day if we have any other stations other than, other than NBA radio. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but my brother's convinced that like, when I turn off, like the ratings go to zero point zero. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's quality program. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, but, you know, but but I, I think to be think a lot about like especially on deadline day listening a lot. You know, I mean, like uh, I I get it, and I just think like uh, I, I think the most important job in year one for Tibbs is. Building a foundation of guys that look, even if it's a 50% turnover next year, at least he's got six guys now. I mean, look, I, mean, I think we'd all say going in the last year, I mean, like, who knows what they had, you know? Uh, but, but for Leon to put this group together, you know, uh, you know, Brock Aller, and, you know, I mean, like, you know, like, like the, the team he's put together is coaching staff and his mm. back room staff. They had the right group of guys making decisions, you know? So whether it's going you know, to Rick Callis has a shot callers, whether it's your decision makers, you know, you know whoever has got the, their finger on the button. I think it's the right group of guys make those decisions. Maybe for the first time, I mean, the first time in a long time, I would say. You know, so so for that, I was, you know, to me, uh, if 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 we all could have cashed in, like, look, we already surpassed the Vegas odds. If we could have cashed in, you know, even with Elf and Bullock, like in these combinations, you know, I mean, I mentioned before, I'm not getting a long-winded response, but you know, you asked about like the things great. looking at. You know, I just uh, I think back to Tibbs talking about different combinations. And you just did a great job in your newsletter. I mean, like lights out, like referencing, you know, like a uh, data that supports, you know, uh, like certain two man and three man combinations, you know, and, uh, and I would say, look, I love to argue, you know, I mean, like, but I would say like a, an argument is like two guys drunk in a bar saying who's better, bird or magic. You know, I mean, I, I, I think a debate is, you know, like uh, when, you, when you have data to support your argument and data can be numbers, data can be educated you know, information. So to me, I mean, like, I love the debate. You know, and I would say, like, you know, like I would say our players, like an agent wants to come and negotiate. Like, I'm happy to talk to you about your player's contract. Just come with tons of information because I'm going to have benchmark positions and what guys make at certain ages and, you know, comparables. And, you know, like, I just think that, like, uh, you know, I don't have a legal background, but I'm assuming like maybe someone preparing a legal brief. You want to have so much data and technology available to information available that there is no, no, there's no refute. Yeah. You know, and uh, I just, uh, I get it. Some of the shortcomings our current roster has. But I also think, you know, at some point next year or two, we're going to have unveiled this plan. They put together, collect these assets, you know, and uh, to me, I, they, they don't have as many assets as Oklahoma City or as Houston, you know, but we look at cap space this year, look at the core they, they currently have. Uh, you know, I mean, to me, I, I, there's very few times, even if I'm cursing like an ill-advised shot or like elf freezing out RJ, you know, I still think to myself, you know what, like this all kind of makes sense. Yeah. And I think just also looking at the landscape of what the NBA is, there will come a point where a lot of the bigger market teams are kind of situated, especially may not have the money at their disposal. And of course that's where the Knicks can chime in and, and work their magic. But I, I just want to touch back with the trade window. So is it, is it correct that it's only four hours long? So, so I mean, the, 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 the actual transfer windows Right. Like it's, it's, it's kind of, it's a figurative window that opens or closes, but really, I mean, like most of the business, most of the deals are done before the window opens. All right. And that's actually, and it's actually like a month long. So like, I mean, in some cases you've already announced a player, like at a press conference, he's already like his medical, he's already signed a new deal. 
uh, it's amazing in our sport. It's, you know, it's an import export business, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, you have to pay a, a fee to that team to acquire their rights to then pay that player. You know, so you think about like when Cristiano Ronaldo was sold from Manchester United to Real Madrid, he was sold for over a hundred million dollars. Okay. So Real Madrid paid that money to Manchester United. Then they had to pay the player after that, an annual salary. You know, so, you know, so, you know, so in most cases, when a window opens, that's like, like when, when a transfer takes place, the official, like, like the, the, the payment of the transfer goes, goes through. Uh, but, you know, but it's amazing to think how much work is done behind the scenes to that point, you know, and, you know, it, it, you know we have a trade deadline as well. And, and I do think kind of like the NBA, you know, things happen kind of down in the very last minute. Uh, I'd love to have it at some point that people are looking at us like they look at Danny Ainge or Pat Riley, like when they call it, you don't pick up. You know, like, uh, uh, you know, I found like in this year's draft, I was constantly trying to trade up in our second round. I feel like no one was biting. And when okay. I staff, maybe it's a compliment that like no one wants to do a deal with us. <laughs> you know, that they think we're going to fleece them or they think something's going to happen. That's good though, right? Yeah. I, I think it's a compliment. You know, uh, I also find in all sports, you have different kinds of decision makers and trades. And I think, uh, I think you have a small group of people who don't do any trades. They just they don't want to engage in that. They don't want to do leave themselves to fall short, you know, and be, you know, looked at poorly. Uh, I think you have some who are trying to screw the other team, you know, who are trying to, 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 to win the deal, like do well for themselves and hurt you. And you've always, you know, trying to make like a win-win deal. And to me, I mean, like, I would tell you like uh, my own ego, I, I don't spend too much time worrying about like who wins or loses the deal. Like, like if, 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 if we turn that player into a positive for our team and we're winning games, then we want it. And, and whether it's both teams win, only one team wins, there's not enough time to worry about like what all the teams are doing, you know? So to me, uh, I also think if you screw a team or you try to win the deal, that team probably wants another deal with you in the future. You know, for me, I mean, like uh, where a lot of deals are done over the phone and and via text before our first season we played, I mean, I was flying to Los Angeles or to Oakland Mm -hmm. or, you know, to New York. I was flying places to do deals in person. Because to me, uh, even though I was an assistant general manager in Kansas City before I was here, I just felt like there's equity you can build up in relationships. And I wanted to have that when I called, maybe guys thought like, you know, that, that I, was, I was like an honest person who wouldn't try to screw them. You know, like okay. uh, uh, also like uh, presenting data, like let's say like, like what the trade proposal was, let me let someone know like how I got there. You know, like, you know, this is how I valued this player based on eight other players who were the same position, the same age, you know, you know the same resale value. This is where I got there. That my, my hope is next time I called that guy, maybe he would look at me differently or respect me a certain way. And you know, that was important to me to kind of build that equity up. So I have two quick follow-ups on that. One, you, you mentioned the things that you do and you do not care about when you make a, a deal. Does um, public perception of a trade, um, which I guess maybe it's a little bit different because soccer doesn't kind of have quite the level of national attention as like the NBA or the NFL or something, but it's still, you know, it's a professional sport. People care about this a lot. Um, does that ever enter your mind? And also I, I have to ask in light of what you just said about, you know, maintaining your, um, you know, your reputation when it comes to this stuff, I'm sure you saw the JJ Reddick stuff with, with David Griffin um, the other day. D- does, you know, if something like that comes it were to come out, uh, you know, about, well, it wouldn't come out about you, but like, does that kind of stuff worry on G does, does that weigh on GM's minds in terms of making sure that you don't have anybody who's going to come back and be like, Hey, this guy said one thing and he did something else. Like how does that play into it all? 
Uh, what was the first question again? The first part. So <laughs> I, I asked too many things. The uh, oh, public perception. That's okay. it. Yeah. So look, I mean, uh, Nashville. If you follow them from afar, you look at the Predators and Titans. I mean, it's, it's Music City. You know, I always say like, uh, if you want to be, you know, on stage, you go to New York for Broadway. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you're an aspiring actor, if you want to be, you know, on you know in the movies or TV, you go to LA to Hollywood. If you want to be a singer, like. Again, being from New York, I just thought it was country music, like all genres, like Nashville's where you go, it's Music City. Uh, it's amazing, like how fast it's been adopted, like as a sports city. I mean, That's great. Our, yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, Broadway is kind of like the equivalent of Times Square in Nashville. Uh, for the first time, the Predators played a Stanley Cup final. Like, they closed Broadway, they had big screen TVs for the Preds. I mean, it was, it was like crazy. Uh, the NFL draft was here a couple years ago. I think they had 200,000 fans were here that week. Yeah, it's surreal. Sounds you know, right. like uh, our first game. Uh, and we were playing the same as the Preds. Uh, I reached out to the GM of the Preds just about something else. And you know, he said, be curious to see how one affects the other. Uh, you know, th- their venue obviously is much smaller. You know, they play in Bridgestone Arena, which is less than 20,000. You know, okay. until our stadium, which will be completed this time next year, like May 22, we play in Nissan Stadium where the Titans play. You know, oh, okay. uh, uh, year one MLS, when, you know, b- before the Red Bulls were the Metro stores. You know, I used to watch them play in Giant Stadium. I mean, like for like a thousand fans, you know, so you don't know playing NFL venue, what it'll be like, you know, uh, that first game, we had 60,000 fans that first game. Uh, wow. We, we had three times as many fans the Preds get. Uh, almost sold out Nissan. That's uh, amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Unbelievable. <laughs> it was surreal. You know, just crazy that, you know, we had that and then COVID hit, you know, and it changed our, our season. Yeah. You know, but like put it in perspective, you know, and we have. So you do have to worry about this then, I guess. Yeah, look, look, we've got a full-time beat writer for the Tennessee local paper. We have, uh, you know, multiple blogs from our team on a daily basis, you know, uh, but, but I would say, I think growing up in New York, I think I probably have a different perception or expectations about not only the fan base, but the media, you know, uh, I was home a couple weeks ago. I mean, I went to a local diner, down the street, from my family's you know, house, you know, I got the news and the post sat there for like two hours, just reading the sports page, you know, and there was one page dedicated to Douglas and, you know, and, and decisions with the Jets, it was for agency. One page dedicated to Gettleman and decisions with the Giants. And I, I took a photo I, each of those sent to my staff. And I said, you know, there's nowhere else in the world where this kind of attention is played toward decision makers, you know, in front offices. And to me, I feel like, yeah, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who feel that way growing up, just as we all did. But I feel like I grew up like, you know, like, you know, like uh, this, this front row seat to, you know, whether it was guys like, you know, Pat Riley or Dave DeBusher or Ernie Grunfeld whether it was Brian Cashman now or Gene Michael, you know, I mean, not only did you see every decision made, but the papers scrutinized them all the time, you know? So I don't know if it's sensitive. I mean, you know, toward the end of the season, I think I got like a little salty with the media and probably more national media than the local media. Exactly. I, I think as, as, our, as our team got better and better, and we started getting more accolades or more appreciation, like, you know, that, that, that we were doing pretty well. I never remember as a media who reached out to me who were like, you know, Hey, you guys are pretty good. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, we've been good the whole time. You just noticed it now. <laughs> You know, so I mean, like, you know, uh, and I've kind of learned a little bit now. I think like maybe we we achieved a sort of a success last year and rather than trying to like, like, you know, like promote our team, I'll let, I'll let the players do it on the field, you yeah. know, uh, but, you know, so that's, but that's important to me. I think, honestly, I think maybe growing up in New York and look at the expectations of teams, you know, like the Yankees, like the Knicks, like the Giants or the Rangers. I mean, the myriad of teams you have, I just grew up with that and, you know, um, 
There's two more. The second part. Oh no! I was just <laughs> sorry. I, 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 I told you we could do this. I had good answers for both, and I kind of forgot the, the um the uh, JJ Reddick thing from oh. uh, when if somebody do you worry about uh, like you know saying something to a player that's going to you know come back and bite you in the ass or something? Yes. Yeah, so, so our CEO, uh, he was the CEO at Liverpool. You know. Oh wow. Uh, you know, and he was there for ten years. He hired Jurgen Klopp, you know, who, who led Liverpool mm-hmm. to a Premier League championship and a European championship. I mean, you know, he, Liverpool and England, like the Dallas Cowboys or like the Yankees, yeah. you know. So uh, um, he and I, when we first met, you know, about talking about me coming to work, you know, for Nashville, the MLS club, you know, you know, I, I think we found very quickly, like, like, like we, we aligned a lot of different things. And, you know, from a recruitment standpoint, we both agreed the best way to recruit players was retention. If your current players are happy, you know, they're going to talk to other players. They're going to say how great it is or how bad it is where they are. You know, uh, you know, Walker Zimmerman, who we acquired last year, uh, you know, he uh, was the MLS defender of the year. You know, so, you know, so, I mean, I'm not saying he's the Giannis of MLS, you know, like, you know, like different players. But I mean, like, you know, like to have this guy as an anchor of your team, he plays for the U.S. national team. He'll be involved in local qualifying potentially, you know. Uh, but like, you know, we talked about the fact that like getting a guy like him, there's not a lot like this good person, but you know, especially in the NBA, you hear about players recruiting, you know, I mean, the fact that like Walker's in a locker room with the U.S. national team, the fact that he's so well respected by his peers, if he's happy and feels good about the situation we have here, why wouldn't other guys want to play with this really good player? You know, you know, like the chance of winning games, but also this guy who's like really happy, you know? So um, I, I can't speak enough about the situation there in New Orleans, other than the fact that I was hoping that JJ was going to give us more <laughs> depth than two, you know, I mean, like uh, me, me and you both. Yeah. yeah, you know, uh, a former player of mine at Duke was very close friends with him. I was, I was there all four years he was in college, and uh, they lost to Utah. It was a seven-game series when he was a Clippers. They actually called me in the car together. He and Really? JJ, my former player and JJ. And, you know, like, like I'm talking like, – my former player's talking to me. I'm trying to talk to JJ. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, you're a free agent. You got to come to New York. <laughs> and he said at that time, he said, if I come to New York, I'm going to Brooklyn. And this is, this is pre-KD and Kyrie and Harden. I, mean, I, I may or may not have told him if he goes to Brooklyn, I'd find out where he lives and burn his building down. That's, you know, like, uh, uh, that's reality. That's the yeah, reality yeah. of what it was. It's the fan in you. Yeah. You know, you know but, but, but I also appreciate the fact that like, you know, like there were reasons yeah. he wanted to be there independent of basketball. Yeah. I'm not totally sure why you couldn't also be at Penn Plaza and do that. But I mean, like, uh, you know, uh, you know I, I can appreciate that. I, I, I can't speak enough about the front office of, you know, New Orleans. This you sure, know? yeah, I know. I yeah, you know, but, but, but I can say, look, I mean, like, perception is reality sometimes. Uh, JJ is, uh, look, he has his own podcast. You know, that's not nearly as good as you guys, you know, but like, uh, no, but, but look, you know, you know, they're very well respected by his peers. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, my guess is, like, when he talks, you know, probably his peers probably listen to him. People listen, yeah. Yeah. Last soccer question, and then I'm sure we can get more into basketball. Um, you know, you were very active during the 2020 draft. Can you take us through what that whole process is? Is it like the movie draft day or is it just completely <laughs> over the top dramatization? Is it, is it just a little bit more subdued? What's going on? What are your emotions? Just how is that whole experience unfolding? So 2020 was the first year we did draft via satellite, you know, like all sports have, sorts have done. It was pre COVID too, you know, but like you just, oh. so it was via satellite and, uh, uh, you know, my, my friends still make fun of the fact that they said that, that you know, each of these last two years, our first two years here, we did it via satellite. They said that like, like I, I only announced players like David Stern when he was, when he was the, when he was the commissioner of the league. 
With the second pick, Nashville selects. <laughs> Better David the names Stern right than, than Mark yeah. Tatum. That's that's important. I keep yeah. waiting for the music in the background to go off after the pick. You know, like, uh, um, but it, uh, that I would tell you, like, that's definitely one of those like like pinch yourself moments. Like, holy cow! Like I watched this. You know, we used to have parties growing up, like watching the NBA draft on TV, trying to pick. You know, like the first round. Now I'm doing it. Yeah, that was surreal. You know, uh, um, as far as being active. What's interesting about college soccer, and, and I'll be curious to see how this affects college basketball going forward. Uh, for sure, 1985, St. John's Final Four run, I was all in on Chris Mullen. And, and you know, like, and it's crazy to think Patrick was the enemy at that point. You know, you know I mean, like, you know, he was, you know, that, that Georgetown was like the evil empire. You know, I mean, like, uh, you know, they were the team that took St. John's down. They were, you know, they were, you know, they were killing everybody, you know. Uh, um, but, you know, I always grew up watching college basketball, really kind of like, you know, you know, like, uh, you know, it wasn't like Todd McShay or like Mel Kuyper, but it was like, you know, let's, let's watch these guys. Show you who's, who's the next stars in the NBA, you know? And as you see some of these guys, and again, John does a great job, like covering like, you know, like the, you know, the, 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 the future lottery and what's happening. And I think when you see the guys like Green and Kaminga, you know, who are playing you know, in the G League, I think how well those guys do could potentially see what happened in, in the NBA, what's happening in, in, in MLS and, Look, I coached in college for a long time. And, you know, in 2007, the MLS started their academy initiative. And like every other club in the world, like where the Knicks had the Western Knicks. Yeah. And, you know, you have the minor league baseball system, and, you, know, and, and, you know, with MLB. In soccer all over the world, you have an, an academy system. And you can have an under-23 team. You can have, you know, like, like, a, like a, you know, a, a AAA type, you know, G League age team. But you can also have teams as young as age 9 and 10 years old. You know, and I would tell you, I don't know that I've ever signed a kid at like 16, you know, that I watched at age nine, you know, but you create this infrastructure that where you have that. And once that happened and MLS clubs started going, I mean, look, you don't have to look any further in New York. I mean, you know, Gio Reyna is one of the biggest stars now, you know, in U.S. soccer. You know, he grew up playing for NYCFC's Youth Academy. He didn't go to college. You know, he signed a professional contract abroad. You know, uh, uh, most of the top 18, 22 year old soccer players in our country, and, uh, and, I'm, and there absolutely are college prospects, you know, you know, who come in MLS, but by and large, if you look at the top 30 prospects per look at like, 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 uh, like college classes, like a high school seniors, you know, if you take the top, top 20 guys, you know, maybe 14 of them signed directly to their MLS clubs now. Really? You know? So, yeah, you know, so where I think there's, there's definitely a perception, especially among maybe some of the clubs that have leadership, maybe by, by those who aren't American, you know, who come mm-hmm. from Europe or South America who are usually identifying players through their, their own youth system at age 14, 15, 16. You know, maybe, maybe this is one of those things, maybe for having coached in college for a long time, being American, growing up around college soccer. You know, I, I just feel strongly we're going to find value in the college draft. You know, so for us, you know, the expansion team is draft first. You know, so we, we were, in, you know, ironically, we're in a year where there's two expansion teams. So there's a, there's a coin toss in, in Miami. got the first pick, we had the second pick. Okay. But I just felt like not only would we get value at number two, you know, we also traded for the 11th pick, the 13th pick, you know, and we drafted three first round picks. Uh, number 11, Alistair Johnston uh, at a Wake Forest. He was originally from St. John's, transferred to Wake after his sophomore season at St. John's. He was the third right back taken. Uh, probably would have been a candidate for rookie of the year. You know, if uh, they changed the award MLS from rookie of the year to newcomer of the year because of how many players were coming from abroad and how many okay. players there were you know, like, you know, who were coming out of youth academies, but he was for sure one of the top two or three players in the draft. And he was, and he was a third player position probably on the draft board selected. Uh, 
This last week, he played for the first time for Canada in a World Cup qualifier. This was a kid, 20, 21 years old, totally unheralded, never played for his country before. You know, was not like a big-time MLS prospect, but we watched him enough as a collegian, uh, believed in him to trade up for him and gave him an opportunity. You know, so I just kind of feel like maybe the experiences we have, we're just going to, you know, place maybe more value in the draft as well as the team as well. So I'm listening to you talk about the draft and the Knicks, and I'm like, we have to talk about Obi Toppin. Um, you <laughs> You just did a draft as you, as we don't need to say, you know, you don't need to say it. It's the evidence is out there. You nailed it. Um, I, and yet, and it, it's not just OB and we'll see what happens with him, but GMs year in and year out, clearly nobody has figured this stuff out in the NBA. Um, you know, there were reports that the Kings were ready to trade Marvin Bagley. He's three years in the league. You know, we could go back year after year after year. There's a top two, a top three, a top four pick. That's just not only do they fail to live up to expectations, but they're like just it's a complete bust littered throughout top tens, lotteries. I, I'm like, I'm just I'm curious what you as again now running a draft room looking at I mean, we could talk about OB or the Knicks, however you want to you know take this. But like. It, do you think that there is a better way to do it for NBA franchises? Do you think it has something to do with the fact that they're drafting players from like all of these different college conferences or like, why is it so much harder in the NBA for play for, for GMs and people running teams to get this stuff, right? You know, it's interesting. I, you know, I'm plug one of my buddies, my, my college roommate, Eric, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll watch this when it's live, you know, uh, he played football at pace and he's, and he's a big NFL fan. He's a, he's a huge giants fan. And I was just talking this morning watching like uh you know, uh, you know, Jets drafting Wilson versus, you know, a, a trading the pick or, you know, keeping Sam Darnold. Uh, the third pick, it's definitely either Fields or Jones, you know, like uh, and I listened to Mike Lombardi talk about like why the Niners like Jones. Uh, you know, I, I bring it up kind of to look at like the, the, I think the uncertainty of drafting a quarterback in the first round, whether it's number one or anywhere in the first round. I mean, the hit rate's like 50%. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mentioned about like friends I've, I've drawn from, uh, I've had twice with our whole staff at our staff retreat, and then just with our scouting and analytics department. Uh, I mentioned this to you. Yeah. You know, uh, I had Shane Battier uh, do a Zoom with with our whole staff, and then he got his. He, and now, you know, obviously, everyone knows who Shane is, but you know, he's now the director of analytics for the Miami Heat. And you know, look, I mean, to, to be anywhere in the vicinity of Pat Riley in general, you know, to me, I mean, like, you know, I mean, that's like, you know, like anyone would do that, you know. But you know, to parlay his career into what he's doing now. We had a call fairly recently with with the, the Heat's analytics department, and I had my analytics department and scouting department all together. So it was this great like think tank, and you know, it, it's it's not threatening to share ideas, best practices, and case studies because we're in different leagues. You know, uh, you know, and what I love what Shane talks about a lot in regards to how to use analytics is you know like being ca- you know like at card counters at the casino. You know, and, and I I love the analogy because it's fantastic. Yeah, you know, like because because I'm so I say data driven. Uh, you know, at my director of strategy analytics, uh, you know, he's talking about maybe more data informed, you know, data driven, you're a slave. You, you just make decisions based solely on information or numbers. Yeah. I think data informed, every department at my club has different technologies they can use to help extract information, whether it's physical data, like miles covered during games, or, you know, it's number of crosses in the box, certain positions, you know, like, uh, uh, and again, you guys do an amazing job, like in the newsletter, like every day, like get the information you share, you know, like uh, we have all this information to help make decisions. I like the idea of being kind of like, like the, this, this card counter and rather than guessing 
on certain on certain players. Maybe try to look at what positions tend to translate at the next level out of college. You know, uh, um, I asked this question today. And I'll bring it back to Obi because I brought this asked this question on Buddy today. I don't follow the NFL enough, you know, like really kind of to know enough about it. But I said to me, like, if the hit rate's only 50% in the quarterback, like, you know, why wouldn't you try to acquire a free agent? And also knowing how much money these guys cost, you know, like uh, yeah. I think about like a, like a backup goalkeeper in soccer, maybe like as a, as a, as a back quarterback in the NFL, you really don't want a one and a two. You want like a one and a one A because they're always going to play, you know? So, so yeah. surely, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, we were talking about, like maybe he only played three games the Patriots before he was traded. But my guess, there was enough of a sample size that they said, look, you know what? Like, you know, like as, as he's demonstrating to be a one A, we can acquire him using not you know, using fewer assets. We can pay him less than this first round quarterback we're going to pay because the, the salary cap, the structure is very low early on. Mm-hmm. You, like you think of like, like the NBA salary cap, you know, at some point, right? Mitch is a restricted free agent next year. Then free agent, you, you know, the window closed and you got to pay these guys. Yeah. You know what, what they've earned, you know? Uh, so, but to me, I kind of think like, you know, I think mean, if it was more like hypothetical, I said to me, if, if guys in your offensive line of wide receivers, if, if, if it's a higher hit rate, why not trade down and collect more assets, you know, and then try to sign yeah. like, I mean, like, okay, one, a quarterback rather than flip a coin for your quarterback. I mean, and, and you know, his answer, you know, and I get it, you know, if you hit it on a quarterback, like, you know, like, you know, like now you've got this guy who is like this elite all-star who can transcend your club, but, you know, I mean, then you also have teams like, you know, like the Baltimore Ravens went to the Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer, you know, I mean, like yeah. a, a Giants won with Jeff Hostel. I mean, he, I, I don't know that you have to, I don't know that you have to hit it. I don't know enough about the NFL, but bring it back kind of maybe to, you know, to Obi, you know, like uh, I, I guess to me, I absolutely appreciate it's very like Billy Bean-esque, right? Like drafting this guy who had played in four years of college and maybe it felt, maybe they felt there's certain, some things they kind of knew about him. Yeah. You know, maybe opposed to, you know, a kid who was overseas for a year, maybe someone, you know, who they didn't know enough about, you know, I, I totally get that. You know, uh, there are different pressures when you're drafting in, in the equivalent of lottery, you know, uh, I totally appreciate that. To me, I just, uh, I don't think it's safe to pick somebody that you kind of, you know, that, that the tea leaves are telling you're going to work. I, I think that's like smart, you know, and I mean like, uh, you know, along the same way, that this UK Intel told them to draft IQ or they really wanted Maxi and they couldn't get him. So they trade down for IQ, you know, whatever it was that happened. I mean, like, uh, you know, my guess is my guess is that Leon probably called Minnesota and said, what do you want for one? You know, and then probably, and, and then worked his way down to eight. And so like, you know, if I can't get anything better than that, I mean, look, I mean, like, I, in my head, I'm thinking to myself, man, if they can get Lamello, you know, it'd be unbelievable. You know, you know, but you know, obviously that's like, what's been keeping me up late, lately is wondering here's what I'm saying. This is about how hard it is, right? Like the yeah. sample size you're looking at, you're gonna have to gauge what the standard is the league he was playing in. Yeah. You're gonna have to look at the, at his jump shot and maybe the hitch he had and look at it, you know, where his brother's a different player. I mean, I think they'll probably be the NBA's version of Serena and Venus. You know, I mean, like I, I mean good comp. I would take yeah. Lonzo. <laughs> you know, I mean, like I Venus in the Hall of Fame, probably. You know, yeah, what I mean? like yeah. Venus pretty I mean, good. <laughs> I, I, I'm cool with getting Melo's brother. <laughs> you know, I mean, like I think Lonzo's good, but I mean, like you know, my guess is there probably were some questions, but again, I think it depends on the team you have that's watching him live, the team you have that's doing workouts, the team you have that are interviewing and grueling that guy. I mean, you know, we drafted Jack Mayer in that first draft. You know, and you know he was at number two pick in my first draft at Nashville. Uh, I mean, I, I drove from Nashville to Bloomington, Indiana. And I wanted to meet with him in, in the town where his school was. We went to dinner at the restaurant of his choice. 
I didn't want to be in a hotel room. I don't want to be in my office. I didn't want it to be like a jacket and tie interview. I want to see him where they'd be most relaxed and comfortable. You know, my thought was like, you know, uh, uh, it's easy to grill him also. We did some of those things as well. And he came in and worked out with us, but I want to spend time just he and I. And I want to get an idea like this guy, if I'm only married to him, you know, by my first draft pick and, you know, number two in the draft, I want to feel good about what I was getting, you know? Uh, and and I, I can't tell you what it was about Obi. Uh, I, I think it, it's probably unrealistic for anyone to say, I knew Julius was going to be an all-star, you know, this time <laughs> last year, there's no way, yeah. you know, like, uh, um, you know, but, but I, I would say if the plan was to trade Julius for other assets, and who's the best four on the board we can get? There's no point guards available. You know, I mean, like, you know, like I would just say, I, I understand how they got there to Obi. You know, I mean, now, you know, Killian Hayes was gone. You know, Lamelo was gone. You know, I mean, I don't know who else they rated. I mean, I was kind of keen on Kira Lewis at the time, you know, I mean, like, uh, you, know, oh, you know, whatever, you know, but, but I would just say, I, I think that sometimes like, you know, there's, there's a green understanding and I think a green is emotional. Like, you know, we wouldn't have to agree. You know, that, that's how you feel. If you said to me, I believe RJ is going to be a transcendent player who's going to score more points than any player in his draft class. All right. Uh, I actually believe that. Okay. But, all right. But if you say that's wrong, my opinion, how I feel can be wrong. All right. Now, if, if I said, based on this information, all right, I need to understand this, mm. that's different than agreeing. You know, I mean, you know, so to me, I would just say, I don't know if Obi was a guy that, I, that I wanted, you know, even after Hayes came off the board and Ball came off the board, but I, but I kind of get what they did, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, fingers <laughs> crossed, Stock, basically. Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I also feel a challenge we have now is because Julius has done so well and people are saying trade Obi, you kind of can't trade him now because his stock has fallen so far. They've got to find a kind of play him back in now. Jimmy G, you got to play enough games. Someone watched him and said, Hey, this guy could do it. And then trade him because right now you get nothing for him. Right now he's he's Dennis Bitt Jr. Right now, <laughs> you know. But I mean, speaking as a GM and your whole thought process, and I want to talk about the Mavericks as well because you're listening or watching this today is game day against the Mavs. Uh, you know, I mean, with Randall, is there this idea of how on earth can I trade this guy because of what he's doing, or it's, you know, can you rationalize something of well, he's a great player, but look at our timeline and how we're kind of moving about. I mean, it seems like a very precarious, uh, slippery slope to be on and not necessarily the most envious of positions. Yeah, look, I, I think about that, 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 you know, mentioned before the, the short-term win now versus a long-term sustained success. Uh, my guess is that the same torch that I was going to find JJ Rex uh, apartment, if he chose the nets over the Knicks, my guess is if, if, if Leon traded Julius now, oh, he's probably grab that, that, that same torch, yeah. <laughs> you know, attacking their offices. No. You know, uh, but, but I would say this, I mean, you know, and it's interesting also because, you know, I mean, I, I think the team that plays at Barclays Center, it's almost like, and like you know, the, the Nets could be another four-letter word, you know, I think those all now, you know, uh, but, but, but I would say I, I get how they built their team out. And I actually, actually there's a lot of similarities to what they did. You know, you have to build this young core first, all right? Uh, one, in a salary cap league, these guys, these rookie contracts cost less, all right? So it makes sense to do that. Also, as bad as Brooklyn's been, as bad as New York's been, you know, you can get better the fastest through the draft. You mentioned this to Shane Batty's his scouting department also, you know, uh, you know, where international basketball has picked up, the reality is probably 97, 98% of all the players that all teams in our league look at in the NBA 
they're all coming out of college. We're kind of the same pond, right? You know, so the reality is, you know, I mean, there are teams that have success with trades. I mean, the last successful trade, if you don't count, or the last successful free agent we've gotten, I mean, if you don't count like, like a, a Mari Stoudemire is like a sign and trade, you know, I mean, maybe it's a, maybe it's a Mari. I mean, Alan Houston, I think was the last like big name free agent Knicks have gotten. And I think, I think because of the Yankees, you think about like Reggie Jackson, Catfish Hunter in the mid seventies. I think people assume like New York is like, the, it's like this, this is, is, is a free destination in all sports. And I, I don't think that that's the case. I mean, I think the LA teams and all sports have that. All right. Uh, I think, look, I live in, I live in a state. There are three states in our country that have no state income tax. You know, the state of Tennessee, the state of Florida is the reason why Miami teams do so well. You're on the beach and no state income tax and Texas. And in all sports, Dallas and Houston seem to do well for agents. You know, so so I would just say I think the idea of like a free agent, like 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 the idea of KD and Kyrie, I, I mean, I, I think that can happen. I think it's a bit of a pipe dream for anything that's going to happen there. And I just know that happened in New York. And I think because we all grew up in New York, I think it probably took me leaving to kind of see that. Because you think anything outside of New York is small. You know, the reality is I, I think there's other markets that are equally as attractive and have different reasons to attract players. So I think you have to do it in the draft. And look, I mean, uh, you know, the Nets were shrewd in how they acquired D'Angelo Russell. All right. D'Angelo Russell also became an all-star and also became a chip that they used in a sign and trade for Kevin Durant. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, Jeremy, your point, I'm not saying that Julius is going to be that chip. All right. But like uh, I go back and forth, you know, Tibbs versus Leon and myself versus my head coach, the, the head coach short-term versus the GM long-term or president operations long-term. You know, I think all the time, you know, like I would love for this guy who's not getting MVP chance, you know, at the garden and you read his, I don't know if you guys read his, his article that he wrote in the player tribute. It was unbelievable. Fit, it was yeah. so cool. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, how do you not root for Julius? You know, like I love him, but if you told me that like, there was a deal to be had to trade him someday to Phoenix get Devin Booker. I mean, like, I love Julius. I will still root for the Western Conference. He's playing for Phoenix, not playing as us. I'm cool with that. <laughs> you know, and I think that that's sports, you know? So, I mean, if if what Leon and, and Brock and co, what they've done is develop this, this young core, this group of assets, where maybe the biggest asset is this guy that our fans would, would hate to lose the most. You know, I mean, I, I think, unfortunately, you know, Julius and Obi are kind of tied to each other right now. You know, and I think it's, you know, there's this emotional pull, as you mentioned, to Julius. Uh, but I would say as a GM, I mean, like as much as I love him as a player, part of me also watches him as an asset. And part of me sees Obi as, you know, like on his worst day. I mean, look, he doesn't play more than nine minutes a game. <laughs> you know, I mean, like on his worst day, what would he do playing 25, 30 minutes a game? You know, could he give you 15 and eight? And if the same offense they run is being run through RJ and he's getting you, 24 and eight, you know, you know, addition by subtraction of those two replaced Julius, you know, what by his contribution that's now allowed you to trade him as a chip for something else. I don't know, but you know, in, in a sport where big guys are almost obsolete, Julius's value is that he can play the perimeter also, you know, uh, I just, I, I think for as long as Julius plays well, I think he's always been someone that I think they have to look at kind of as a, as an asset as well. So just in terms of the Mavericks, from how the trade unraveled and it just seemed like an overnight thing. Do you get the sense that it really did just kind of materialize all at once and uh, Porzingis was shipped off to Dallas? Do you think there was more due diligence? Because I know that there's certainly some debate about the idea of how quickly things kind of came into fold. And obviously there's no 
parallel universe that we can necessarily see. But in terms of Porzingis, I mean, where are you at emotionally as a fan? Uh, and maybe is there a crossover between your GM instincts and, and how the two intersect? So it's funny about my emotions as a fan. You know, uh, I've talked to s- s- sports psychologists and therapists about having outside interests away from work. It's super healthy. They like work-life balance. You know, I mean, you have to have that. You know, uh, the idea that like, you know, that like my release from work is this team that I'm also watching and studying like their, you know, their cap and looking at how many players are restricted free agents versus unrestricted free agents. You know, like uh, I don't know that the total release from my job because there's a lot of things I look at that I relate to work. There are things I pull out of the email newsletter. I show my staff as case studies. You know, like uh, I'm actually, you know, I think it's outstanding, you know, uh, so it is hard for me to separate myself. So as a fan, I would say, I don't know that I would throw a rock at KP if he was going to walk down the street. Um, but I, I wouldn't like over pat on the back. I for sure wouldn't do that. You know, well, like, because he's uh, so tall, right? It'd be hard to reach him. He's or... so tall. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, jump you know, up. And... <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, as a fan, yeah. but to be honest with you, I mean, like if you cross his path, he'd probably get hurt, you know? So, I mean, like I wouldn't want him to trip and hurt himself, you know I mean? Like, want uh, that. No. Yeah. You know, like, but, but I would say in, in my role, I think I look at like someone like KP and I look at like how trades happen. And I, I was saying this to, I was saying this to, to my son, Daniel, probably be watching this also. So I'm going to shameless plugs my friends and family, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, the idea of like a disgruntled player in a trade, very rarely is a player at the height of their powers and performing well on and off the court traded. You know, the reality is hmm. you know, like, like when Camelo was traded from Denver, he was telling me, Hey, look, if you don't trade me, I, I'm, I'm leaving as a free agent. You know, like, you know, you know, get him as you can. because I'm leaving either way. I read time thinking like, why are we trading for this guy? He wants to come until Brooklyn got involved. You know, when they got involved, I think then we were forced to trade for, him. you know, uh, I think what happened with KP as he got more and more dissatisfied and wasn't bought in, in a different light, which with Obi before, you have to worry about this diminished asset. I think you have to worry about things like injury history, which are very common up to, to many big men, not just to KP. Okay, but, but clearly the guy has an injury history, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, um, you have to worry about, you know, how that affect getting something for him. You have to concern about, like, attitude. You know, well, it's him, well, it's his brother, whatever else is going on, like, in his, you know, his entourage, you know, like, you know, how that affect how he's perceived in the marketplace. And I, I think they got to a point where they probably felt like this diminishing asset, if we don't do something soon, you know, we're, we're going to lose this asset. One, we won't be able to get equal value for him. Two, you know, he could potentially, he could potentially walk at some point. I mean, this is one thing I think people don't realize about Julius too. I mean, again, I love Julius. You know, I mean, like, you know, I mean, you know, he could turn down a deal this off season and then walk the following year. I I you bet know? you he turns down an extension uh, offer this off season. I mean, we talked about it on the pod a bunch, so I don't, you know, it's because it, of the max that they could offer him. I just, I at this point. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to do rules of engagement because every team is different. But for me, I mean, you know, the, 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 the clock is ticking. Time is ticking. We get with, within two years, the player's contract expiring. And I think 18 months to me, the, when your clock hits that, you got to tell yourself, if we haven't re-signed this guy or close, I think you got to move him. Wow. You know, uh, because if you don't, there is now a threat you'll, you'll, you won't get anything for. You know, and I would say... The only thing worse, and we, have, we look at timelines, you know, and I can't look at KP's contract in front of me. I, I really try to block a lot of his time out of my head altogether, you know, like uh, smart. Um, yeah, you know, like, uh, uh, but I would say 
my guess was at the time came to the leadership at the time, and I think it was Steve Mills at the time, I think, you know, who was involved in that deal, probably thought if I don't do something soon, I'm not going to do it. Uh, now, why do you do that deal? I think, you know, there's armchair quarterbacking. My guess is that the four of us all probably were pretty happy with DSJ when they first traded for him. I mean, look, I mean, he, he was valuable at the time. You know, uh, he was probably for Dallas. He was highly sought after in a draft. You know, I mean, like, you know, you know at, at that point, what was it, New York or nowhere, right? I mean, like, even when, even when he first came to the team, like, oh, you know, yeah. it, it, it did you remember that. You know, I mean, like, um, you know, I think it's ironic to think back now to that trade and think that the most important chip out of everything moved around could be the 2021 Dallas Mavericks <laughs> first round pick is amazing. You know, I mean, like, I mean, I don't know if you guys, I mean, I, I mean, I'm watching on my phone, Nick's Wolves last night, race back to my hotel to watch the fourth quarter of my phone to then turn on Mavs Celtics. I can't do it anymore. I, 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 I did a little, I engaged in a little bit of the, the Schadenfreude and, uh, to begin the year. It's just, it has, it hasn't been going well of late. I, I, like, I'm one of those guys too. I mean, like, uh, you know, wear different socks depending on how they're doing and, you know, <laughs> certain things. And yeah, I mean, I'm all about that, you know, like, uh, yeah. um, you know, I, I was trying to convince people that like, Luke is not as good a player because of his three-point field goal percentage. And he hit, I think he was like six for 10 last night or something like that. You know what I mean? I mean? He's awesome. He's, he's going to be okay. I, yeah. I don't think KP deserves to play with a player like Luca. I, I, I think KP should have to play with, with a lesser caliber player. Like Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, I think they I, should I think find they their way to the same team. Match made in heaven. I think KP should get traded to Sacramento. I think he should <laughs> have to play there. Like in that city, like with that team for Luke Walton. That's what I think he deserves. Uh, talk about, yeah, talk about matches made in heaven. Um, Mike, you've been just beyond generous with your time. I do have to ask you one more before we get out of here. Give me, and this is going on the record, your your friends, your family, your loved ones, Knicks Nation are going to hold you to this. Over under, RJ Barrett, all-star appearances. I, I, I'll give you a second to think about it if you need. What's the over? You're, you're, give me over you're under. You're going to set the over under. Give me your prediction. Yes. In his career, all star appearances. In his career, all star appearances. Now, you want to say what I think or what I think we could over under? Oh, give me both. Can you give me both? What do you? I, so, okay, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you my over under. My over under right now, which has changed from the beginning of the year. I think my over under right now is two and a half. So I obviously look at me. Maybe I worked at Duke. I've been drinking a Kool-Aid. I was going to say six and a half with my over-under. That's your, oh my God. God bless you. I'm not going to lie. That was actually my over-under as well. And then I kind of. Six and a half? It was. And then, but then I was like, you know, maybe that's a little too lofty. So then I kind of got down to four and a half. Yeah. I mean, look, look, look at, look at the data you give me once a week, Jonathan, about like their players, his age producing at the level he's producing it. Yeah. Uh, yes, okay. but then I just looked at who all the players that didn't make the all-star team in the Eastern Conference this year. There's some pretty damn good players who didn't. Maybe look that's... The age, look at the age of some of those guys and what the day when RJ is 24. How that's many of those true. guys have been in the Eastern Conference at that time? Okay. I love, how your, I love how your newsletter is the one that's fueling all of this, too. Where <laughs> and yet I give the two... A few months removed from you having him as, like, what, the fifth best asset? Oh, and now, we, and now Mike's got six and a half. It's, this, is, this is progress. This why is growth. Do you, why do you bring up old podcasts? This is a new podcast. You got so, wait, is, so you, you're giving me a six and a half over under. Are you going over, I guess? Yeah, so, so I, I, my guess would be seven total. Your so guess is seven. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to sweeten it. So Okay. 
right. We have to get, uh, I'm sure we have some, some uh, casino or another as a, a sponsor to the show. We have to get them to set the line. Fanduel. And then, uh, oh yeah, there, yeah. sure. Fanduel. Why not? Um, my guy, this is usually the portion of the show where I ask uh, the person to plug whatever it is they want to promote. Um, I get our tickets available. I, I can't believe we haven't talked about this, but very, very briefly, can, can fans in Nashville go in and watch uh, the, the opener once it's once it's it's here? So I think recently it just came out uh, that we can have it's kind of state by state. I think we can have it's either 30 or 33 percent capacity. OK, that's not bad. Uh, yeah, I know the Titans for their playoff game. And the same venue had over 20,000 fans. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know if top of my head how many tickets are available, but I do know that I think we've got over 10,000 ticket holders. So I know they can all get a ticket. Oh, that's great. I don't know enough about the total available, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's exciting to think it's been year two starting for us. It's hard to believe, you know? Well, um, I will I will plug and promote um, you for you. Uh, you are one of the... I mean, I, I don't know how rising stars in the in the world of sports uh, management. You're killing it. Um, I kind of want you to ditch soccer for basketball at some point. Not gonna lie, but uh, not for the competitors, or else they'll be too good. And then, well, the no, next... no, no, not no. He right. I, he knows where yeah. I want him to go. He does. I don't need to say it. Um, but in the meantime, uh, I, I feel bad for the rest of uh, Major League Soccer to have to contend with Nashville because uh, clearly, you know, good things are happening. So uh, just, you know, on behalf of uh, all of us, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us today and share some insight. Thanks much. This is awesome, guys. Take care. Okay. Well, that was fun. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I certainly did. Um, and uh, I think everybody learned a little uh, little something, maybe a little bit more than a little something. Um, so thank you again to Mike Jacobs for doing that. Uh, thank you, of course, for listening. One more reminder, if you want to hear the post-game thoughts on the Dallas Mavericks-New York Knickerbockers game tonight, uh, check those out on either the KFS YouTube channel or just update your pod stream and uh, that podcast will hit there. And as always... If you like this podcast, feel free to uh, rate it. Feel free to review it. Feel free to uh, tell your friends who are Nick fans that, hey, there's this podcast I listen to and they talk about the Knicks and it's pretty good. Um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, everybody enjoy your weekend. And here is hoping for a win tonight. Yes, please. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.